Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. And we are ready to go with Panic with Friends. Knut. Hey, how you doing, Howard? Welcome back from Norway. Thank you. Welcome back from New York. Has there ever been a panic in Norway? Do they have anything to panic about? I mean, you have all that oil money. Yeah, they ran out out of brown cheese the other year, and that was really bad. (laughs) So how does it work there with with the oil money? Do you all feel wealthy from having that? There's a surplus. You guys have like the wealthiest sovereign fund in the world. How does that work? There's a fund that um, manages all the money from the oil income, and and they're managing to dig into that very well every year to make sure that we deplete that resource as much (laughs) as they possibly can. What are they spending on? You mean investing it? No, no, no. They give it away to poor countries, and they get get wasted all around the world. Oh, so so you yourself, there's no dividend that goes to each citizen every year? No. So wait a minute. What's the point of doing that? I don't know. So you guys Good don't question. get to flaunt it and just... Well, you know, there's there's social services, there's free hospitals, there's, you know, there's some, some good benefits from it, obviously. Right, we're going to get into that over the course of this panic with friends. So Knut and I go way back uh, to college. Yeah. Uh, MBA together. We S- never panicked. Never, ever. <sighs> Maybe a little bit before finals. People, we made other people panic. That was kind of, <laughs> you were good. At, you were good I at that. Was really good at that. <laughs> we displaced panic. Now, as an adult, with you have two kids, I have two kids. We panic all the time, and um, I thought this would be a good idea, Canute, to because the markets. It's probably the first time for a lot of these Gen Zers. The market's kind of in a little bit of a panic mode, uh, and I was getting so many calls. I said, "Let's do a series." call some really smart investors and we will do panic with friends. He whipped up the jaws music. I think that was a little bit of jaws, a little bit of jaws. That was Obama saying hello to me. Yeah. He's very nice. Nice guy. And then what else did you, what other movie you mix in there? Um, that was not a movie, Oh, that but, wasn't? I, but I might have one for another day. All right. So we are going to have our first guest, Jim O'Shaughnessy. Jim is a good friend of mine, uh, a legend in the, uh, quant space and asset management at OSAM, and and he's seen a few panics, and he has a lot of wisdom that he can drop uh, around this subject, so let's let's get him on the phone. All right. I like not having video. Love it. We're calling Jim right now. Hey, guys. Jim O'Shaughnessy. (laughs) I'm panicking. (laughs) Yeah, well, listen. Uh, same with uh, CNBC stocks in turmoil. As soon as we announced this show, the market bottomed. Um, yeah, naturally. naturally. Naturally, when people heard that Howard's calling Jim, and Jim, <laughs> not hard, not a hard get, by the way. Hey, Jim, can you, can you be on a podcast tomorrow? Sure, I'm in. <laughs> no what problem. time? You tell me. What are both of us doing? How do we have so much spare time? So you today are in Connecticut? You're in Connecticut? I am in Connecticut, yes. And uh, you are here with, uh, I'm in Phoenix in my studio with uh, Knute Jensen. He's uh, Norwegian. And we were just going to, yeah, Knute and I went to to, uh, ASU together. We were just commenting that uh, we never panicked at uh, ASU. We created panic for others. Yeah. But we uh, never panicked. And that so, was normally my function as well. So I, I hope that we manage to, you know, work up a good head of steam here. Do you have you been to Norway? I have not been to Norway. It's one of the few places in Europe I haven't been. I'd love to go. Yeah, no, there's rumors it doesn't even exist. There's Sweden. Uh, <laughs> there's Finland. There's Denmark. What? Cool, there's even Iceland and Greenland. Have you guys even Norway? had Where a is cool that? tech company come out of there? There's Spotify's out of. Cool tech company? No, none, none that I can think of. None came out of Norway. Nothing big, no. 
Yeah. They invented the paper clip. I don't know yeah, if that and counts. And you stole the oil from the Danish. <laughs> That's no, well, actually, yeah, to a degree, but you know. What a fun they have, Jim. All right, so Jim, we're going to get right into panic here. Let's give everybody a quick bio. Uh, the people on my end know who you are, but just, uh, you know, it's a long bio, but you, you give the best bio you have for yourself. Give you a few minutes so we get some background. Yeah, so I think the the shortest and easiest bio is I'm the founder and chairman of O'Shaughnessy Asset Management, uh, which is uh, headquartered in Stamford, Connecticut. It's a quantitative, long-only equity investment firm. Um, I wrote the book, What Works on Wall Street, which is the one I guess I'm best known for, where we looked at a huge variety of factors, things like buying stocks with low PEs, high PEs, buying stocks with the greatest earnings gains, et cetera. Um, and that is now currently in its fourth edition. Mm-hmm. Um, virtually all of the things that we do are systematic uh, in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, we've, uh, we've got a great research team and are launching uh, what we think is probably the next uh, step of the evolution of investing. It's a platform called Canvas that allows a tremendous amount of flexibility uh, for the advisor who's using it with their client. I know that Patrick, uh, my son, who's mm-hmm. the CEO of OSAM, uh, actually introduced it at, at a conference, right, WealthStack, and he did the Howie S&P uh, 495, right? Yeah. Did he ask you what, stock, what five stocks you hated, right, and, yes. and took them out? Um, so we're very excited about that, um, and uh, that's, uh, that's what uh, we've been working on. And so what I want to talk about today, Jim, is <clears throat> you've been, I don't know, what got you, well, first let's just go right to it. Um, do you, did you build your firm so it was panic-proof? I mean, is there such a thing as panic-proof? No, no. There's, look, you know, the, the philosopher uh, Jed McKenna says we're fear-based creatures, and I think he's right. Um, and so I, I don't think uh, really anything other than, you know, uh, burying, I guess, uh, uh, gold bricks in your backyard or putting them in a safety deposit box uh, is panic-proof. I think that, you know, during times like this, you, 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 when people are panicked, uh, you know, these are the times where, where you have to remind people that, hey, you know, you get this wonderful equity risk premium because of the risk, right? Yes. And, and so if, if you're buying a risk asset, uh, you really have to be prepared for really broad uh, swings in that asset. And the problem, of course, is that we're really temporal creatures, Right. And so we are, we've been we came off a particularly calm period in markets where where you know markets basically just went up. Mm-hmm. Uh, bad news, good news, right? Yeah. It got interpreted uh, well by the market. It went up. It went up. It went up. And it's kind of like you know if we were if we were uh, sitting in the Pacific Ocean on just the stillest ocean in the world, right? And the sun is out and everything is perfect. Right, and we've got our drinks on the boat, and, and life is good. Where are our <laughs> wives? Are our wives nearby? Uh, yes, of course they are. Oh, well, yeah. then it's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> They're not listening. Your wife is long suffering. That's fine. Oh, sound effects, good one. So, uh, but anyway, so and then and then the storm comes, and it comes like sometimes it comes, you can see it coming, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you see it on the horizon, but sometimes it just comes out of nowhere. Um, and it's the ones that come seemingly out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, you know, the fear index, the VIX index goes from, you know, four to 80. Mm-hmm. And everybody is literally gripped by fear and panic. And, you know, unfortunately, that's in our DNA. It's, it's the way we evolved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's actually for its purposes, was really smart and really good, right? We are all the descendants of, say, there's two people, right, uh, you know, back in 50,000 B.C., mm-hmm. and they are on, they're sitting on the plains of Africa, and they're looking at a bush that's rustling. We are the descendants of the guy that ran away, <laughs> right? Good point. 
We are not the descendants of the guy who went, oh, I wonder what that is, and goes over to the bush and gets eaten, right? So fear and and panic is literally built into our our, the oldest parts of our brain. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing. You know, I studied that a lot, as you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so what's really interesting about it is people can intellectually understand risk, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they yes you, if you're talking, if you, especially if it's during a calm period in the market, right? That you, now, you do understand that this can really swing around a lot. Oh, sure, yes. And you really think that you're going to be able to handle it when, you know, it's down... Twenty percent. Well, sure. I find that if you actually use dollar figures with people, mm-hmm. it engages them a little bit more, right? Let's right. say they've got a million dollar portfolio, and instead of saying, "Hey, um, you know, could could you handle it being down fifty percent?" you ask, "Hey, could you handle it if you woke up and saw that this one million was suddenly five hundred thousand?" And and it's interesting. It's because of the way our brains process. We don't do percentages well. We don't do math well at all. And, and, and so the other part of this is, you know, recency bias is, is the idea that we expect what's been going on to continue going Yeah, on. I mean, the last time you looked at your portfolio, it was this. That's, that's recency. I mean, it really comes down to the number. Oh, I had a million dollars yesterday, and today right. I woke up and it's 800000 Yes. And, and, and the, the other thing you got to throw on top of this is that, you know, it's in times like this, people want people who are saying very definitive things, right? Mm-hmm. The market is going to plunge or the market's going to recover. And they, they, they gravitate towards those people who say it with the greatest amount of certainty. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been around this game for a long time, you and me, and we know that that level of certainty is kind of absurd. Mm-hmm. The honest answer is, well, you know what? I have no idea what's going to happen for the rest of this year, maybe even the next three years. But if you look at the very long-term data, you know, since the founding of the U.S. Stock Exchange in the late 1700s, it's a good long-term bet. People don't want to hear that, right? Mm -hmm. They want to hear, I know, you know, the market is going to bottom this, the bottom is in, the uh, the rally uh, from lows is in place, blah, 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 right? And, and the other thing that's really hard is we are really creatures of narrative. We want the story to make sense. We immediately gravitate towards stories. And you see me on Twitter always making fun of the, the journalists who are inventing all the reasons for why the market uh, has done something, right? I joke that, you know, we could probably have an AI program to do an even better job, right? right. <laughs> pick, pick the words that are most searched and work them into your headline, up or down. Right. But people don't like to hear that. And, and another compounding problem is that people also don't really like to talk about money. I always say it's the last taboo, mm-hmm. right? People will talk about their sex life until they're blue in the face. But, mm-hmm. man, bring up money. And you start touching all these things that are real hot buttons. Hmm. Uh, because, you know, it has to do with hierarchy. It has to do with status. It has to do with fear of not being able to provide for your family, with pride if, you you know, you've done well. And it just goes on and on and on, right? Those emotional hot buttons. And, you know, I have seen this time and time and time again. When you get conditions like this, the emotional part of your brain takes over and... Evolution has made certain that those emotions are much, much stronger than willpower. The um, so it, 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 do you remember? Obviously, we can't take panic. So the, the question was, can't take panic out of out of our lives, and at some level, it's it's healthy. Um, obviously, when you're young, you're you know that's why I always told my kids just have fun. You have plenty of time to be. Uh, stressed out. Even even my daughter, I sent her away on spring break, and I like. She's like, oh, and I'm like, hey, read a book, put your phone down, uh, see you in three days. But like, you're 21 years old, so you'll have plenty of time to uh, worry about things. Um, do you remember the first time that you and not forgetting girls or dances or you know school grades or whatever? Do you yeah. remember the first time you had enough money or didn't have enough money? 
that uh, you panicked? Um, so, yeah, it was later in life. Uh, you know, my background is I come from a, a very well-to-do family. My grandfather was a very successful entrepreneur who kind of did a Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, uh, but back in the day, uh, he basically gave away 95% of his fortune during his own lifetime, which I'm very proud of. Um, and and yet, you know, things were certainly not tough for for me. Got it, got it, right. Uh, or, or, or us. But, you know, there, there was a point when I was still deep into what works on Wall Street research and building a house in Greenwich because I'd moved here from St. Paul uh, with my wife and two small children. I have three kids now, but uh, it was just two when we moved. And kind of was looking at the bank account and had some clients, but not many. And the bank account was getting drained by the house. Mm-hmm. And that caused me a great deal of concern. So, yeah, I mean, yes, I felt it very strongly then. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's just it's one of those things in life that I think, unfortunately, even the most fortunate people at some point have to struggle with it. And what about the markets? Have you ever panicked over, you know, you've built a business in the markets. you remember the first time you worried uh, about whether it's redemptions or what's going to happen tomorrow with uh, your systems? Because you've built more of a quantitative system. So at some point you're walking away from the systems and you have to say the systems are going to do their thing. You've you've told your LPs this is how the systems are going to work. Everybody signed on the dotted line that this is how it's going to work. And then, you know, if the market does its thing and, that, and it takes the system to its brink, uh, so walk me through that, because that's sure. that's probably where the panic is in your system. Yeah, it's well, not around you your know, own personal; it's around the business. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I really have to say that I've been very fortunate and blessed in that I, I have so internalized the probabilistic nature of the world that I really, you know, I, I have a quality which which uh, can cause a lot of problems in normal times. But during crises, I get a lot calmer, right? Um, And, you know, during the financial crisis, my co-CIO said to me a few years ago, he goes, do you realize that I looked in your office every morning when I came in? And I went like, no, why? And he goes, it just gave me, uh, it made me feel real good because I saw you weren't panicked. You were, you know, it was business as usual. But if you go back to, 1987, right, mm-hmm. the crash. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a firm then, but I was trading options, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I had uh, come up with a pretty nifty mathematical um, uh, model. Stocks that, or on everything? Uh, stocks mostly. Remember the OEX and XMI, okay. the old, uh, broad index? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'd come up with a pretty neat uh, uh, thing that looked at that that made its determinations of being long, short, or flat. You know, um, uh, having put the and calls, etc. Uh, using the implied volatility differences from the Black Scholes options pricing model. Okay. Um, and and so going into the crash of '87, I had acute. Now remember, I'm 27 years old, right? And I have a son and a daughter on the way. Um, and, uh, so going into the crash of 87, um, I had amassed the biggest put position I'd ever had. And, and it was meaningful, right? Uh, it, it, it was significant and meaningful. And, uh, this is before I had completely, you know, integrated the, the probabilistic way of looking at life into my, uh, into my mental models. Right. Mm-hmm. And I panicked. So a lot of people who haven't studied the crash don't remember that it was a two-day thing, not a one-day thing. Um, it was a Friday and a Monday. Yeah, it was a Friday. But could you say I, I, I was I was so young, and I didn't have money. I was working on it on a, on a trade desk. So I remember Friday being busy, but not because it wasn't my money. It didn't really register until Monday. So you knew something was going on that Friday. Right, right. So, but but here's what happened, right? So, uh, you know, sometimes the, the trade that ends up being just on the face of it, your worst trade becomes your best trade. Because what happened on Friday was the market was down, I don't know, several percent. And, and, and I had like one of the first modems that hooked up to quote, you know, uh, quote machine. You were a geek. Yeah, I was a total geek. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm watching this, right? And 
I just literally feel the panic rising in me because I just read, you know, I took a lot of letters and, and I read everything that I could get my hands on. And, and, and basically, you know, the, the, the um, consensus opinion was hmm. that if we had like a big down day, that would be it and it would be a washout. So literally, I panicked as the market started to kind of creep back up, right? So it was down, I can't remember what percent, but significant, right? Mm -hmm. And then it just started to kind of go the other way. And I thought, damn it, this is it, man. That was the bottom. And I sold the entire put position, right? I didn't lose money, but I didn't make much money. Hmm. Um, And then, of course, the crash happened on Monday. And you would have made a fortune. Um, I would have made a fortune, a literal fortune. But you know, I actually wrote about it, and I'll put it up on Twitter again uh, when you when you uh, let this podcast out because it, it really taught me about oh my god, I got to do something about these emotions. Yeah, they they are going to kill me. It's like you know, I always say markets are are largely unpredictable in the short term, but human behavior is largely predictable. And now we're right? getting at it. That was your life for me. It's the same thing. I had a I knew I couldn't beat the market based on my own. A behavior. So I had to in, reinvent myself with the strategy that allowed me to be me and, and which was obviously very early stage, long-term illiquid investing where I couldn't, couldn't check the price. I didn't want to be judged by the prices every moment. So is that when you kind of said, I got to go systematic? That was definitely, that was the time. That was, that was my, my aha Satori moment. Right. And I had been doing a lot of research on, and by the way, you know, behavioral research. Is was so that big even right a now. thing back then? Behavioral? It was like, huge. It was oh, huge. It was huge. The funny, the funny thing is now, now granted, it was not. Cause that was like big swinging dick era. So people probably didn't want to admit that everybody wanted exactly. to beat the market. So I didn't think yeah, behavior yeah. would be a thing then. Oh, it was, okay. but it, it, it wasn't called behavioral finance yet. That came later. It, but but the idea of studying uh, outcomes of of systematic you know empirically derived models making predictions and making predictions the human way had been done in a variety of things like college admissions uh, recidivism in prisoners you know a, a whole host of these things and all and doctors making diagnoses and and what they found right is what built up behavioral finance. The systematic empirically derived models always beat the humans. And as you thought about it, it was like, why? They, you know, the human beings invented these models, right? And it was because of the inconsistency of human behavior. And that inconsistency is almost always emotionally driven. And so as I got deep into the psychology part of this, and, you know, I wrote a really geeky paper that when I read it now, I just laugh. Um, but, but, you know, it was, it was the, it was the beginnings of what would go on to become the four books I wrote, especially what works on wall street. And that is, you know, my, my saying that, you know, the four horsemen of the investment apocalypse are fear, greed, hope, and ignorance. Right. Mm. And if you look at those only ignorance is not an emotion, right? Fear, greed, and hope have wiped out more portfolio value than any. So why, so why add the ignorance? Well, because there are, if if you apply yourself, right, and and you do some homework and you read some of the good uh, texts on on sensible investing, um, you're no longer ignorant. And and today, that's just like following you or me or or somebody who's got some experience or Morgan, you know, some mentorship on the web. Exactly, and 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 also. You know, my one of my heroes is Richard Feynman, the physicist who worked on the Manhattan Project and the guy who figured out why the Challenger blew up. And he's very dramatic, right? I love this guy. Uh, and he figured out that it was the O-rings, you know, that right, was right, 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 right. And and so, but he did it like with such great the- theatrical uh, nature. He he gets them to bring him up a, a, a cup of ice, and he takes the material that the O-rings are made out of, and he drops it into the cup of ice. And it disintegrates. And he goes, I think there's your problem, right? <sighs> and, and, but he had this great, he's, I mean, if you read uh, several books he's written himself, you know, Surely You're Joking, Professor Feynman, um, and then books written about him. He's just really an incredible polymath. And one of the, his, his sayings that I quote to people all the time is, 
you got to remember the first rule is don't fool yourself because yeah, you are the yourself. easiest person to fool. Mm-hmm. And 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 once you once you really download that and, and get rid of that ignorant part, right? Mm-hmm. You still got to deal with fear, greed, and hope. And if you don't have a process in place to do it, you're going to lose yep. because the emotional parts of our brain are more powerful. Again, if you think about sort of the evolution of our brains, the most the, the newest part of our brain is the prefrontal cortex, the executive, right? Uh, the, the most ancient portions of our brain are the reptile brain. What do you mean ancient? Meaning, so I thought it's all one. So what do you mean by that quickly? Uh, actually, the brain developed uh, various components over time. Okay, so the most recent and is, got it. Most okay. recent is the executive prefrontal cortex, which makes modern society possible. Yeah, right? that's in charge of Netflix, that part. <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> and microwaves yeah. and, and Wi-Fi on airplanes got it, got it. and all that cool stuff. But before that, I was just, oh, who's gonna, where are I going to take it down? Yeah, and exactly. Part. And I... And, and fear and, and greed, right? Mm-hmm. So greed, why? Because food wasn't plentiful. Mm-hmm. If you came on like a bush full of really tasty berries, you might not, you know, you learned to share, but you ate a bunch first, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because you were hungry and you were greedy, right? Greedy yeah, it's like the one. Norwegians do that with oil. <laughs> I resemble that Skimming. remark. You skim. <laughs> so exactly. But, but, okay, that's interesting. Yep. Yeah, but so anyway, those those centers of our brain are much, much older and much more powerful. And quite literally, you can see this, and this is why I advocate everyone keep like a journal on inventing. I mean, journal. so we get right to that. If you feel shitty right now, the number one thing in the panic mode is write shit down. I mean, yeah. the greatest thing that's happening, and this is why the idea to quickly do this show on the spot, is panic is... It's like walking into the Dead Sea with a cut. The, you know, the markets are going to find that you shaved your armpits before you went into the Dead Sea. The markets are going to find that place to cut you. The, the markets will always find your weakest link, and that is where they will attack. Yep. They will attack and, your fear, hope, ignorance, and greed. And yep. um, so that's good. I mean, if I'd done my homework, which I never do, we'd probably have led with that and, you know. The, uh, but that's the beauty of podcasting. They got to listen to the whole thing. So, so knowing that, let's go now to what people should do when they first time invest. So, so you have you have kids. You you, you talk to them maybe about investing or not. But everybody who's listening here is like obviously going to be interested in hearing what we think about panic. So it's happened. Like it's too late. We are in the middle of it. Yeah. And fear, greed, hope ignorance, throw them out the window. Like, let's help people understand what's happening and, you know, what they're supposed to do um, when they're panicked. Do you have any advice for people when they're panicked? Absolutely. Um, First off, write it down, right? Because that is a very cathartic experience, right? Um, It's one of the reasons why, and and talk, if you have a really good friend or, or your husband or your wife, right? Talk about it, yeah. you know, and explain it, because there's this idea in psychology, it's called talk therapy, right? And, and what they found is people who are, who are able to simply express verbally, right, or in writing, mm-hmm. their fears or, or um, you know, the things that they're really worried about, et cetera, it really helps them. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is the, who you're talking to, you know, it doesn't have to be a trained psychologist. Now, Obviously, it'd probably be better to train psychologists because they're trained to ask you know the pertinent questions. But, I, I have a know. professional. Do you do you see a professional or have you? Uh, uh, not no, not no, not for um, uh, markets or anything like that. No, I'm but, just in general in life. Like, uh, well, so yeah, I mean, I actually, I I have this uh, thing that is way too long to explain, which is called. Um, it's a mind-body problem. Got it. Uh, and and but, a, so you're, 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 you've, you 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 believe in the whole system of it. I do. Yeah, yeah I do. So do I. And, and 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 I think that I think that um, it's very healthy to be able to to um, uh, be able to talk with someone else about things that are bothering you. Yes. So 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 do that. Mm-hmm. Write it down, mm-hmm. and then and then you know contemplate 
it, and, and don't do anything right now, right? So, so, so maybe you were overexposed to equities, mm-hmm. right? Well, everybody so, is when a cut like this just happened. I only was yeah. 50% exposed and I wake up and I was stressed. That's why I had the idea yeah. to do this. Like, I don't like seeing my account down even under, you know, 50% bonds, 50% stocks, uh, forgetting homes and other junk and all their stuff. Right. But right. what right. happens is you just start, people just start staring we all do. Maybe not, maybe not you or, or maybe not 10% of the population. But all I know is you might as well shut everything down because everybody's internally focused on their own wounds. Yeah, and, and actually that starts a chain reaction, right? Yeah. Where you telescope your attention. Yeah, and so, yeah. we're all in the, I love that word. We, we, you just see it in people's eyes. Like people will call me and I'm, you know, I want to help the companies, but I got my own shit that I got to deal with because I know when I open up my my account, I'm going to see red. I'm going to see big number losses. So we're t- we've telescoped our attention, and so people yep. need to and understand that that's happening to everybody. Yep. And and what happens is that starts a very short uh, loop feedback, right? So you're looking at those numbers as you say, right? They're red. Mm-hmm. Um, that start that increases your panic. It increases your cortisol levels. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly everything becomes a bad thing to see. There's a, you know, Google reticular activating system. And basically the, the idea behind the, the reticular activating system is you literally see what you're focusing on. Right? So as an example, um, you know, if you don't normally, and I've done this, it's really interesting. It really works. If you don't normally think about you know, cars of a certain color or whatever, think of a car color that you, that you almost never see, right, and come up with it. In my case, it was a green car. And I thought, you know, and now for the next 24 hours, I'm going to try to see count as many green cars as I see. And I was guessing that I would see like five. Right. You see now, five you know how many cars. I saw? Yep. 47. Right. And the You're reason just, behind yeah. that is because the reticular activating system was activated. It said, look for green cars. And so my attention got focused on that. Voila, there are green cars. Same thing happens here, except in a bad way. You telescope your attention. You have a very short loop feedback system. Everything you see is bad news. Right, you literally become blind to news that is not bad. So the first thing is turn off the TV, close your computer, go look at the sun, uh, get some perspective. But yes, it's hard to do. But that's the first thing you got to do because you've got to get out of that telegraph. You've, first, you should realize other people have, are doing doing the exact same thing. You're not alone. Secondly, so you got to have some uh, context for this. Second thing is you got to have some respect for the other people having their telescope of attention. So you you know this is going on around everybody, and and put that in perspective. But then second, you have to now start paying attention. How do you now start paying attention to what your next move is? That's and 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 you hit on a, a really important thing that I want to underline. And, you know, I, I can't remember who did it, but one of the financial advisors who follows me on Twitter. Emailed me and was like, "Hey, I'm, I'm putting together this thing about you know what behavioral bias you know do you have that's the worst, and what do you do about it?" And my answer to him was, "My worst behavioral bias is being a human being, yes. and my should uh, become a quant." Now, yeah. hang on, I'm getting a bad connection. Hang on, Jim. The should we call him right back? You think? Yeah, I think we're going to try that real quick. Hey, Jim, we'll call you right back. We'll, we'll, we'll pick okay, it right no. up. Right, we'll pick right up there. Oh, I'm about the reception. We're going to yeah, pick everybody right up. Don't worry. We'll okay, hang on. So, Jim, we were just getting right to it. Oh, my God. We were getting to the nirvana of panic. <laughs> no panic needed. Hey. Hey. So, uh, I guess you're in a bunker. I'm not in a bunker. I'm in my house. You're lathered in Purell. <laughs> <laughs> You've got those thick, wealthy walls. Okay, so go ahead. We, we, okay, this uh, is we, better. Did, did we capture the, the whole Yeah, thing we captured everything. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, so, so the idea is that you get on that I want to underline is this is not unique to you, 
all the listeners to your podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Guys, this is everybody. Yep. This is a big boat, and we're all in it because we're human beings. Yep. And so don't like feel like, oh, I'm in, I'm, I, I, I'm. Right. Everybody's thinking curve. about the one guy on Twitter who's a short the market. And it's exactly, just, right? yeah, the, the lying, the, listen, I try and be honest with people. Like, even though it's 50% long and I've been conservative, you know, and not making as much money as everybody on the way up, I try and remind people, it's like, we're all long. We all lost money. Whoop. Now we're just randomly hanging up on Jim. These should, should still be there. They'll be there. Jim? Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Sorry. I don't know. I yeah, think it's, okay. I don't know. It's just a bad connection. What about yeah. So anyway, so everybody's in oh, that position. Line. We all lost money. So keep going. Yeah. So, so the, the solution for people in general, right, mm-hmm. is break the connection. Yep. You said it yourself. Turn the TV off. Go for a walk. You know, go out to dinner with your spouse. Any exercise. Exercise helps a lot. Mm-hmm. So if you've got access to a treadmill, use it. If you are in a nice weather place like you are in Arizona, go out for a walk. If or a you bike have bike. A, a big pet, what size pet would it be okay to hit the pet? Is it 50 pounds? <laughs> <laughs> so is that, oh, did I say something I, wrong? I, I, I would go with the old hitting the pillow. I, sometimes I don't know what I'm allowed to say because it's just a podcast. <laughs> you know. Okay, so, so we didn't trick Jim. So yeah, yeah. Go, you, you disrupt that. I think... Right there. Also, we have to tell people to be honest with themselves. You know when you have too much leverage on. Like, don't lie to yourself. Don't be ignorant. Exactly. So sometimes, even though we hate saying uh, sell something even into a panic, sometimes you have to be not ignorant and sell something into a panic. So you can't also lie to yourself. Like, go outside first, take a walk, you know, talk to the person that you want to talk to, uh, come clean with really what your leverage is to a situation and what you really are comfortable with. And if that means selling into a panic, don't, don't, the text, there is no textbook. You have to get yourself, you cannot destroy the mothership. You need to give yourself a, f- a flea, a, what is it, flea versus, you know, looking in the bush. You have to give yourself an out. Oop. Pissed him off. Yeah, I know. We've got a professional over operation here over at the panic office. Exactly. We're not panicked at all. No, I'm not panicked. <laughs> I can't fire you. I don't know how to work any of the equipment. Oh, now he's got another podcast call. He's, he's got, in such high yeah, demand. He had to call his wife about something. I don't know. We'll try him again. Okay. The uh, We were getting there. We'll edit a little bit of this together, but I just want to get it out. Yeah. Hence the joy of... Uh, we're in a professional studio, but poor Jim, I think, is in the basement somewhere. Yeah, sorry. I, no, you know. it's okay. Yeah. So Anyways. we were so we were saying, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. You, you, try to just get perspective, and it's really hard for a lot of people to do that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm very lucky in that you know I I look at the world kind of like under a probab- probability function, right? And so I'm never like totally certain or one way or the other. I know I have convictions, right? But mm-hmm. it, if, if you lock yourself in, right, to a particular point of view, uh, then you, you, you start equating that with you, right? You often see people say, oh, I'm going to die on this hill, right? Mm-hmm. And and I and I'm more along a uh, Patton's lines of no 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 make the other poor dumb bastard die on his hill right <laughs> so so when you when you equate your opinions or your convictions with your ego that is a really bad combination because you 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 start doing things for the wrong reasons and again you you get into a bad cascade and feedback and that's not good. So, and basically, have a process that you that you can let work, and then the hard part, you know, let it work. Let it work. First, write it down. Find someone to talk to. Be honest with yourself. Get rid of the 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 ignorance at all levels. You know, test yourself on ignorance, uh, and then stay in the game uh, is obviously very important. In two thousand nine. 
now maybe it came from experience you you felt or maybe maybe in hindsight you're even that happy about it but it did work out you wrote this long piece about you know everything was going to be okay right yeah you, you linked to it like what made you so confident or conviction in 2009 that the other side was here yeah so so again the numbers right um, at, at that period, when I wrote that piece, it was called a generational buying opportunity. And when was it? Um, it, was, uh, it was March of 2009 that I published it. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote something the same in March 2009, but it was a paragraph. So I, it's the same thing. I just was, it was like a tweet. Yeah. So, so mine was like most things. I, I let the, the, the empirical facts guide what I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that point in time, we were seeing all kinds of things that hadn't happened since like the 1940s. For example, the 30-year Treasury had outperformed the S&P for the previous 20 and 30 years. Right. You know, that only happened two other times in the historical data that we have. That was in, you know, the 30 years and 20 years ending 1942. and So that was a signal to you, Yep. Yeah, but then also just valuations, um, you know, uh, we also looked at, okay, let's look at the, the 50 worst 10-year performances, right? Yep. The rolling, um, ten, yeah, that's the number that I worked off of, like the rolling performance. It was like, you couldn't, it was the, it was the worst since the 30s. Yeah, it actually, uh, yeah, it was the second worst. 10-year yep. real inflation stripped out return yep. for the S&P. That's when I got other, bullish when I looked yeah, at Yeah, other number. than May of 1920, okay? Yep. So what we did was say, okay, let's look at these 50 periods and find out what happened one year after, three years after, five years, seven, ten. And once you ignored the one year after, every number was positive. Three, yep. five, seven, and ten. Mm-hmm. And again, it's this kind of reversion to me, and markets always overdue on both sides. And so literally every number was screaming at me, this is a massive, massive buying opportunity. Right. But then you ask, so what, what, made, what gave you the conviction? Well, what gave me the conviction was just, you know. Because you were scared. The- I mean, we were all scared, but we still knew. We still, I still, when I was writing in March 2009, and obviously I had already taken a beating, uh, by buying too early, but uh, but so would Buffett, so would a lot of people. Um, you're still nervous, even though you have conviction. Sure. I mm-hmm. mean, of course, because, mm-hmm. you know, nobody knows the future, right? right. But, again, back to probabilistic thinking, right? Mm-hmm. The, the probabilities at that time just were so overwhelming right. that, you know, I, who uh, basically, you know, make fun of uh, forecasts and predictions, right. is also awful. Yep. Um, felt, you know what, uh, every number is screaming at me that I got to write this. Yep. And you know, what was really interesting. <laughs> so I also did it on the internet, right? And uh, it's, um, it's in another piece, which I'll also link to when you, when you post this, uh, you know, mistakes were made and yes, by me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I wrote, I wrote a piece, uh, uh, called the internet contrarian in 1999, right? In which again, guided by the numbers. Mm-hmm. I was like saying, gang, you know, when this bubble bursts, 85% of these companies are going to be carried out of here feet first. Mm-hmm. Even if you can identify the companies that are going to go on to win, and I actually used Amazon as an example, you're going to be able to buy it at some point in the next five years for maybe 90% lower in price than it is right, right. now. That is the hard, and, I mean, that is the harder letter to write than the generational buying, I guess. I, I could never write that letter. I can write the generational buy letter. Yeah, so, so that's that cool looked, that you wrote both. Really interesting about that that uh, piece. I got more hate, both real yeah. mail, nineteen ninety nine, uh, but email as well than I'd ever gotten on anything I'd ever published mm. ever. But and that, it was that all goes like, without saying. Yeah, it, it absolutely does, right? Because mm. you, you are you are not you're not uh, drinking from the same punch bowl, and people get crazy. Yeah, they get crazy. On the upside, and they get crazy on the downside. Crazy on the upside is even a little bit more... I think it's worse. Yeah, it is. It's worse. Because what happens is, you know, you're making so much money, 
And, you know, it, you, it, again, because of the way we're constructed, because of evolution, because of human nervous systems and psychology, it is really hard not to think that, hey, man, I am the shit. I am the king. Yeah. I really know how to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you don't. Mm-hmm. You got. And, yeah, you might be better. You might, you know, uh, conceivably be 10 to 15% better. Man, those odds, if you're just 10 or 15% better, Man, you're gonna you're you're gonna rule for it, long periods of time. Patrick, your son Patrick's running the business. Mm-hmm. Love the young guy. He's he's eleven. Is he is he twelve years old? He's taken over. Yeah, he's he's just got over his twelfth Started podcasting no, he actually, when he, he was five. He turns, he turns uh, thirty-five uh, wow. next month. Yeah. So so we I have a obviously a, a good relationship with both of you. So it, it's just cool because you know I like to think. Uh, that I could have that good a relationship, you know, and I do in a way, but, you know, we're always relating our relationships, whether it's Ellen telling me, oh, if you wish you could be more like that guy, I go, you don't even know that fucking guy. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, we all want to be like Jim in our business, in, in our business community, it's all of us are, are gather around financial Twitter and stock tweets. It's like, oh, Jim and Patrick, they both goof around on the web. Patrick's running the dad family business. And uh, there's complete uh, transparency and trust, and nobody's embarrassed. We all embarrass each other, it's, but you guys seem to have this great uh, camaraderie and respect around, uh, you know, not embarrassing each other and and truly being, you know, uh, comfortable in that role of father son and business uh, owner operator and uh, chairman. So. Is it something, is there something about, invest, like, this is what's so exciting. Like, the, I'm excited about the panic and fear uh, because it, we need the next generation to experience the cut. Right. To know that, well, you can't be a good investor unless you've been cut. You know, it's like a fighter nope. who doesn't, you know, you don't, you don't, it's not a fight until you're bleeding or whatever, until the first hit is blown. So it's kind of been a fake market for the last, I don't know, six, seven years in many ways um, for stock investors. Like, oh, pick any software name and it's doubled and tripled. So I'm kind of get excited about this, but at the same time, I hate losing money. So, you know, I'm taking one for the team so everybody learns. Um, What do you think about the next generation? Should they uh, embrace this? uh, Should they embrace investing or should they do something more noble or, you know, where, what do you think about the world of investing and, and the idea of, of what's happening and all these people being onboarded and robo-advisors? We'll, we'll unpack a few of these things, but this will be the last part of the, uh, the interview, is where are we in, 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 in this world of investing, and are we in a good spot? So, so I, yes, I think we're in a good spot. I think, actually, history will show that we are in maybe one of the best spots going forward that the next generation can take advantage of. Totally um, agree, but, you know. And, and so, again, you know, talking my own book, but mm-hmm. uh, our Canvas platform um, is, is doing what I tried to accomplish 20 years ago with a company called Netfolio. It is and you were one of the original, I mean, you were the original before E-Trade, before... Uh, no, E-Trade you, was around. E-Trade, E-Trade was, was around, but it inspired, obviously, Netfolio, meaning... You, you, Netfolio was something that E-Trade needed. It was like E-Trade allowed Netfolio to kind of do what it did. Exactly. and, yeah. and with Create those, portfolios and, and do yeah, all kinds of right. cool so, things so on So Netfolio the was an online investment advisor. I even got a patent for mm-hmm. it, which, you know, patent trolls said that I should have tried to enforce, mm-hmm. which is funny. But, but so Canvas, you know, is, is Patrick's take on that, right? And, <clears> and um, it is, a world of optionality. And by that I mean um, you can now do things like tax-managed portfolios that you get uh, that generate tax alpha, right? Taxable investors all too often, you know, it's impossible, right, to if you have a mutual fund or even an ETF, to get the kind of tax alpha that you can get if you have a separately managed account that is tax-managed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you you can like the Howie uh, S and P. Uh, yeah, it's like give me 95. the five hundred stocks less 
the exactly. companies with the worst customer support without Comcast. And, and let's Verizon. say you're let's say you work for Google, um, and you got a lot of Google or Alphabet stock. Well, you can now customize your portfolio to de-emphasize tech, right? Because you're so heavily exposed to it yeah. personally. Mm-hmm. There's just there's the flexibility, and then of course ESG. If you want to put together an ESG portfolio. Our platform is like the most neutral, right? Yeah. One of the problems that I have with a lot of ESG funds is they're making these moral decisions for you, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we're not doing that at all. We're saying, you know, we, we don't care what your beliefs are. Yeah. You can reflect your beliefs using the Canvas platform mm-hmm. um, in a way that is unique to you. Yeah. So, so you believe in stock picking or you, you're not, I would say, are you a robo proponent no, because it gets no, more no, people no, no. We're online not, we're not robot we're not robo i'm just well, you know i don't want to start a fight but you know i'm yeah, very no, no, anti no. i'm very no. anti-robo actually, yeah, <clears throat> actually a good conversation yeah. because our clients are financial advisors yeah. right um so so th- there is an intermediary between us and the end user who mm-hmm. is a financial professional mm-hmm. right and so that financial advisor and professional now has more flexibility built in with the Canvas platform for his client or her client than they ever have had historically, ever. Yep. And because of that, we think that that this idea of customization and all of the benefits that you can derive from it, from tax harvesting to de-emphasizing something you're personally heavily Mm -hmm. exposed to, ESG, to whatever you want. I mean, even let's, you know, if you hate five stocks, you don't have yeah. to own them. I agree. And so I think that that is where we're evolving. Yeah. And I think that that's a great thing because it's the greatest like, time. Like you, like if you really may be a little ahead of the curve, cause we can't predict when the end of this quote, passive active uh, debate ends and what is passive and what is active. But I right. have been sick and tired of, of vanilla, you know, six wonderful flavors of investing, you know, 60, 40, 70, 30. Uh, give me, uh, you know, like you could just grab it off a shelf at a supermarket risk and reward. Um, you know, I'm the old man yelling at the TV for the last 15 years. And not because it put me out of business. I'm fine. I, you know, by, by, by Vanguard putting me out of business, I found the business that I truly love. Once I was honest with myself that it's stupid to try and beat Vanguard, uh, everything you know, then then everything started happening for me, right? Yeah, but at the same yeah. time, I hate—I don't hate Vanguard. I hate robo advisors and the VCs that 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 took people down this path. That uh, oh, the you know, an algorithm can solve all this. Well, first of all, algorithm can't solve behavior, and secondly, an algorithm shouldn't be building portfolios because right right now you have an algorithm that has fifteen percent of the the money in every robo advisor at Betterment or Wealthfront in negative yielding debt in Europe. Right. Like so 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 our position as I noted, right? Uh, our clients uh, we 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 uh, you you said something very important there and it Of course was, I did. I just oh, don't know what it was. What was it? <laughs> I'll tell you what it was, Howard. It's like our Hurry up. <laughs> Uh, you said that that uh, algorithms and, and robo advisors cannot deal with emotions. Right. Absolutely, one hundred percent true. Mm-hmm. That's why we built uh, Canvas to work specifically with financial professionals who have clients, yep. right? Because they are they got to be there to help with the emotions. Yep. At the end of the day, and it's really interesting, by the way, when you look at all of the research. Essentially, what you find is once a, once a person gets to a certain level of wealth, um, it depends on which study you look at, but it, mm-hmm. it's around five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. They want a they want a human being, mm-hmm. and and you can argue until you're blue in the face. Gotta that, have a oh, human look. being. Gotta yeah. have one. I have gotta a have few. a human. Do you have, have a financial one. advisor? I, no, I don't because we're you know we're in that business. Um, so Jim, I don't do, know. You're not helping us here. <laughs> just lie. Occasionally you should just well, lie. No, but, I just but, winked but, at you through the podcast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he didn't see you. Of, of course, Howard. Of course I no, have. I, I have lie, but you know what I mean? I even have, <laughs> Charlie, I, I've delegated this to an advisor. You, you, be, you just literally don't ask anybody. 
Well, well, see, again, this is our business, yeah. right? And and uh, we have family offices. But you believe that people should have fam- financial advisors? Absolutely. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. And that's a big change of my belief structure, by the way. When me I was too. Younger, uh, me too. Uh, Even younger, five years ago, I, I made fun of financial advisors, and I still yep. do because, like lawyers, most of them aren't good. But there is <laughs> nothing more important than a financial advisor. Absolutely true. Yep. Absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And um, I came to that understanding, um, you know, just through experience. <laughs> yep. And 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 so uh, th- that you know, the, the world is going to be good financial advisors oyster because look, we all you you started this question with should the next generation invest? Well, of course they should. Yes. You, you have to, right? Have because to. who who knows? You know, the government can make all sorts of promises, right? Oh, yeah, you'll get Social Security. Oh, yeah, you'll get this. Oh, yeah, you'll get that. Well, I don't know. We'll see, right? And don't count on it. And by the way, one of the greatest hacks of all time, which doesn't get enough credit, I used to make fun of the app, is like acorns. You know, once that's the greatest hack to pay yourself first. You know, there used to be the saying that, oh, Howard, you just pay yourself first. I don't know what the fuck that means. I mean, I get my paycheck and then I pay my bills. I sit down at my desk and then I put everything in Quicken and I realize I'm I'm negative 400 a month. So, you know, but with these tricks, like this is where an algorithm and whatever works, the way, you know, you hook a kid's account up and I think everybody's knocked off acorns. But the fact is my son who doesn't make enough to live, but I taught him how to hook up his acorns account to make sure that everything that rounds up and couple, four times a month, money is going into a saving, is going into an investing account. Meaning there was a hack that actually works. Meaning worry about it later, but you've saved something off the top for yourself. So Always. that is a great tool for the next generation. If, if kids aren't on Acorns or, or their bank isn't offering a forced savings product, you are cheating yourself of the, of the joy of investing. Because the whole lie is, well, I can't invest. I don't have money. No, you first build a hack so that you start directing money or you beg your parents to do this for you. Right. Okay. Right. I, I, I completely agree. And, and so I honestly think that, you know, uh, the next 20, 30 years are going to be incredibly exciting uh, in investing, not just in public markets, by the way, yep. which is my specialty, mm-hmm. uh, but in private markets like your specialty. Yeah. And and uh, guys like Brent Bishore, who our family office has a pretty big investment with, who he buys, you know, like micro cap uh, private companies. Mm-hmm. And where it requires, you know, it's, it's as Brent says, he's got a, it requires a lot of steak dinners and getting to know people, and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and so I just think that particularly people uh, in, in America, because this is kind of the epicenter for it's all getting invented here, mm-hmm. um, are really going to have so many incredible opportunities and options that it's good for the younger and by the way this also gives me the opportunity to to let's stop with the millennial bashing yeah you yeah, know yeah. it's a joke it's like, these kids are so smart they're so smart and, and, and you know just cut it out just stop yep. it, it, it 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 you know it's just it, it's silly to me right and and I own, a, I own and operate too, like I say. So I, I know, I, uh, and, and I have three. Yeah. So, and, <laughs> and yours are you know, yours are yours are creative. You've done something well. You've got a comedian. You've got a writer. You've got an operator. You've, I mean, everybody's an entrepreneur in the O'Shaughnessy. Your wife's a photographer. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a very you're the lucky crackpot. Guy. You're the crackpot. <laughs> I'm absolutely the the uh, so kids should invest. They should hit on people like us, the old farts, uh, to to hold their hand. We're here to hold their hands. We want these kids. You can't get panic out of your life. Uh, it doesn't mean you should continue to chase panic. Uh, that's silly. That's part of the ignorance part. Panic is not something you should be chasing. Uh, you should be chasing a, a, a calm state, but you should understand when there's periods of panic that there are actually periods of opportunity uh, which we won't get to on this one, but I'll, I'll talk. We will talk about it another time because panic creates opportunity, and I think that once Absolutely. people start writing shit down and then they get in the habit of writing shit down, they'll start realizing that a, a panic leads to new trends, new ideas, and that's why you're bullish right now. And yep. uh, well, that's exciting. The the if you were an investor starting today, 
Yeah. <clears throat> and you, what's the first thing they should do? Uh, open a brokerage account or, or what's the so, first thing someone so, should do? So I think, you know, so I think they have a good uh, job. They, they want to put yeah. 10 grand yeah, away yeah. So, or five so grand. I think, yeah. I think that, you know, getting started with kind of a broadly diversified portfolio, um, you know, uh, that, should they that, pick their own favorite companies, or should they go and buy the? Well, you know, I, I again that that's a matter of disposition, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think that another thing that I really came to understand is my way is not right for most people, right? So when when I started O'Shaughnessy Capital Management, which was the first derivation of O'Shaughnessy Asset Management. Right, I designed all of the portfolios to be balls to the wall, maximum alpha, right? Because I didn't care about volatility. You know, it was like, come on, and 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 I was young, right? And I was like, well, yeah, you you, you what, don't you want a portfolio that can be a thousand basis points ahead of its benchmark? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, most people, the answer is no, because that volatility side is something I didn't have enough respect for. I have a deep respect for it now. Yeah. And and so the 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 best advice I can give, right, is get investing as early as you possibly can. Yes. Because that's the you know, compounding they always talk about the magic of compounding. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Right? If you start like let's say you're out of college and you're twenty three and you get a job, start then. Yep. And, and, and like I know, said, trick yourself. Like you should be so exactly. grateful Acorn exists, whatever they, exactly, whatever they're charging exactly. you, because it's a, it's and, like and, yoga. And, yeah, and and honestly, you know, if the first thing you invest in is an ETF that you know covers, uh, you know, the, the 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 broad market, it is large cap and small cap and mid cap. Fine. Yep. If 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 you find that you're one of these people who loves to live and breed the market, sure, then then go down that path. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's got to be the ultimate advice that I give. Right? Is it's got to fit you. Yep. And everybody's different, and everybody has different things that they want to achieve. It's like you know our friend Morgan Morgan Housel, mm-hmm. right? He he writes about this really really well because he talks about his own uh, way of doing things. And and it's it's not as risk seeking as somebody like somebody like me might say. Hey, Morgan, you're a kid. You should be doing this. Yes. Right. But it's right for Morgan. Mm-hmm. So he's got that wisdom already as a young man that it's it's going to work for him because it, it's right for him. Yeah. And and that brings us right back to financial advisors. When you can afford one, hire them. Yeah, because they will work with you to find out what is right for you, and and literally, and again, it's why I get so excited about Canvas. Everybody's different. Yes, of course, we can make general categories, right? Mm-hmm. But the fact is, if you can't stick to the underlying process, it's worthless. Mm-hmm. If, if if you invest thinking that you you know you're going to invest for alpha. And then you sell when the market's down or your portfolio is down 10%, you made the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. And you need to learn from that and you need to adjust your the way you invest. Is there a fast way? Is there anything that is out there that people can learn to figure out uh, what type of risk tolerance? Like, how do, if people want to be honest with themselves, or is it yeah. just based on age? If you're 20, pin so, your ears so back and just, stop worrying. It's not just based on age. Um, you know, I think it was Jason Zweig who said this, but I think it's a great metaphor. He goes, like, most risk management models are, are like showing a picture of a snake to somebody, right? And he goes, a, a real risk management model would be throwing a live snake in their lap. <laughs> and I think he's right, right? A picture of a snake, yeah, sure, I can deal with that. The real snake in your lap, you're probably going to freak out. Right. So, yeah. There, there, uh, the answer to your question, and, and, I'm, and I wish this weren't true, but the, 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 it's, it's, again, is a, it's a very nuanced thing. Yeah, start with age, right? Yeah. So, so, look, if you're going to be reckless, be reckless when you're young, yeah. right? Because you, you've got so much road ahead of you. Yeah. And, and so, you know, but, again, 
this requires some introspection. This requires talking to people. And, you know, one thing that might work is ask your closest friends. Hey, what do you think? Do you think I'd be able to withstand, you know, a 10 or 15 percent? Because, again, there's a lot of studies that says that, well, we are hopelessly bad at categorizing ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Like the classic example is, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in 10 buckets, the bucket number one is the 10% of drivers who are the best. Bucket 10 is the 10% who are worst. Where are you? Well, men are worse than women about this, but men always put themselves in bucket one or two. Right. Right. And, and yet when you ask them the question, Hey, Jim, where would you put Howard in his driving ability? Now you and I haven't driven together. Uh, but the the fact is, when you ask close friends about about their friends' ability, they're pretty spot on God. about where where they're at. So ask your friends. I got some input there. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's a that's a tough one though. But you know, at the end of the day, if you're young, get started investing. The world is going to open up to you. You're going to have amazing things on the investment horizon for the next 20, 30 years. All right, Jim. I think we did a good job of discussing uh, panic. The other side of this will be good. Be uh, Don't be ignorant. Stay, you know, take a deep look. Don't hide from your portfolio or the red. Uh, you know, kind of embrace it. It's happened. Uh, don't ignore it. Um, you know, take a walk around the block. Look at it. Uh, doesn't matter if you have to take losses. Uh, what you have to avoid is, you know, compounding those losses. You've got to get yourself in a position of strength. And, you know, doing all those things, even if it means selling at the bottom, like, who cares? Like, you got to protect the franchise, um, you know, and then you start over from scratch. Give yourself a chance to start over from scratch. And I uh, appreciate everything you do, uh, Jimbo, for uh, the financial community. Uh, thanks for spending time uh, with me and uh, Canute today. Thank you, Jim. Absolutely. Thank you, Canute. Nice to meet you. And nice to meet you, too. Howard, as always, always have a good time uh, talking and, and being with you. So this is no exception. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. All right. See ya. Bye. Cheers. Are we live still? We are. So there you have it, Jim O'Shaughnessy. What'd you think? Fantastic guy. I feel he's, calmer. He's... Yeah, I'm, I'm about to fall asleep here. That's how calm I am. He has a lot of knowledge in his head. Next up, we are going to talk with uh, my partner, Charlie, at Compound, who is going to be talking way more, uh, um, way more data-driven. Uh, Jim's a data guy, but he has the ability, uh, as just being around for so long and having so much wisdom, to kind of hide the data. I'm going to try and get more data out of Charlie, so we'll have the opposite uh, coming up in our next episode. Uh, and so everybody, I hope you enjoyed. We'll see you on episode two of Panic with Friends. What you just heard was Jim O'Shaughnessy on Panic with Friends.